so uh, it's not really something we have set dates on. And so parents, if this is something that you're interested in and just have questions about, please come and see me afterwards or send me an email. Uh, email's on the back of the bulletin and we can talk about what that looks like. Uh, join me in Psalm 4. Psalm 4. That's where we're going to be at today. Today we're beginning a series in on Advent. Uh, Advent is the season of anticipating and preparing and rejoicing for the coming celebration of the birth of Jesus. Um, Advent means coming in Latin. So there's an anticipation of arrival, uh, the arrival and the coming of Jesus into the world. Uh, Christians use the four Sundays and weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas to prepare and remember the real meaning of Christmas. Now, we are admittedly getting a week started a week late uh, because we took last week to talk about prayer and fasting. Uh, New Life does 21 days of prayer and fasting in January, and so we talked about that last week. If you weren't here, I would really encourage you to get the app um, and listen to that message because we really did. Like That's 21 days is coming. It's a really powerful time, and it's good to have a, a jump on that now rather than being, oh, surprise, we're doing this in January. So that's what we were at last week. But today we're starting on Advent, and I'm loosely basing the next few weeks as we go through this through the Advent book Shadow and Light, Shadow and Light, um, by Tish, and she just has an amazing name that I would butcher if I tried to say the whole thing. So um, Shadow and Light, and one of the things that she says in this book that I think is really good just talking about Advent itself is this. Can you put that next one up? Similar to our culture's view of the first day of January as an invitation to reinvent ourselves, Advent gives us the chance to transform our lives, but in small, much more significant ways than a new workout regimen or less cluttered closet. We are offered the chance to pause and push off holiday merriment and slowly inch away from the shadows. This is a small but significant cultural resistance we can practice in our homes, minds, emotions, and relationships. And I think that there's something really powerful about that because the Christmas season is just so, so busy. Yes? Um, I heard that jo- John Orberg, who's a pastor in California, recently said that I don't know why we call the reason why we call it Advent is because we add so much to our calendars over the course of this month, whether it's parties or family gatherings and everything like that. That if we really want to truly embrace what this is all about, we need to start calling it Subtractvent because we need to start taking things away and start simplifying and trying to get to the core reality of what this is about. And so that's really what we want to focus in on, is giving ourselves time and space to reflect on who Jesus is and the reality of the significance of his coming into the world. And one of the reasons why I really like the theme of her book, Shadow and Light, is the idea of how light penetrates the darkness. Uh, Darkness can be very overwhelming, and light has an obvious effect on it. Uh, I had the unique privilege about 20 years ago of being part of a haunted house that was designed, created from scratch, and put on for an entire community. It was a really unique, cool experience. And one of the things that we did, one of the rooms that we had, was we had a darkness room. And so literally it was a room, probably the width of our auditorium, but square. And it was just an empty room that when somebody walked into it, it was completely dark. There was no light, there was no nothing, you couldn't see anything, it was just complete darkness. And if you ask people after they went through the entire thing, what was the creepiest room out of all of them? It was the darkness room. 
The simplest thing was the scariest. Why? Because it's, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm going. Who's that? What's that noise? And just where do I go? How do I get out of here? And being in the haunted house and working in that room, when you just turned on the flashlight to start letting people know how to finally get out of here, you could hear the audible, <gasps> there it is. How do we get out of here? Oh, follow light, light, light. And they would respond after being in complete darkness for a little bit. The response and the desire and the need for light. Well, the reality is, as we think about what life is like, sometimes we experience the light, the darkness of life, and it can become very overwhelming. And we can feel very trapped, we can feel suffocating, we can feel very discouraged, we can feel hopeless within the midst of it, and we just want some type of light. We need something to give us direction, something to give us hope, something to let us know things are going to be okay. And that's the light of the Lord. That's the reality of the truth of Jesus. And so that's what we want to focus on as we go into these weeks, is how the light of Jesus shines into the darkness and how that helps us so much. And so today we're going to be focusing on Psalm 4 to specifically talk about hope. Uh, before we get into that, I'd just like to pray again and ask that God would speak to us through his word. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for the love that you have for us. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. And guys, we do go into this holiday season for everything that it brings for everyone, whether it's celebration and joy or it's stress and difficulty and even pain. God, we bring all of it to you, knowing that you know all of it, knowing that you care about us in the midst of all of it, and know that you are going to walk with us. And so God, as we go through your word this morning, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would remove the distractions, and that we would hear from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so, actually, I should have done this before we prayed, and I apologize. One thing that I want to do is something we haven't done in a little while, and that's I want us to read the psalm together. And so we've done this periodically. We were just going through Leviticus, and it's kind of hard to read large, huge portions of Leviticus uh, together, and probably would also be a little weird. Um, but this is a nice eight-verse psalm. And so uh, what we're going to do within that, uh, if you haven't been here when we've done this in the past, is... Um, there's eight verses, and so whoever would like to read verse one, just read that, and somebody else read verse two after them, somebody else read verse three until we get through all eight verses. And so if somebody, um, and just this is how it goes, it takes a while, and then once somebody reads verse one, then it gets going. So somebody just be verse one. Um, and whoever wants to read that, read it, and we'll go through the psalm together. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Verse 6. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine found. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thank you for that. I think it's cool just to hear the different voices. This psalm is interesting because whoever wrote it, uh, whoever it is about, we know David, it's Psalm of David, but whoever he's talking about, they're in a bad spot. Uh, maybe their crops aren't coming in. Maybe they've been attacked and prosec- per- prosecuted by horrible people. Maybe there's uncertainty about what's to come. Or maybe it's a combination of all of these and even more. Now, most of us, when we think about that, and this, that's their culture, most of us and ours, not everyone, but most of us don't have to worry about crops coming in. But we know the idea of the stress of work and income and having to deal with that. Most typically don't worry about prosecution and suffering in the ways that they would, but we definitely have our modern versions of those things, and we know the pain of relationships being broken and challenges there. Uncertainty about what's next is indeed a real thing for all of us. And so I'm sure that many of us can resonate with the hard place that this psalm comes from and what's being talked about. In each of these, the same thing is desired. Hope. Hope is the thing that's desired. Knowing that hope, knowing that there's more to the story. Hope, knowing that things can change for the better. Hope, knowing that things will be okay. Whether we realize it or not, we desperately need and desire hope. In another part of the Psalms, it says this in Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. For who you are and how you live in life, how you live your life, that is where our hope should be. Why? Because no one else is certain. Nothing else is certain. No one else and nothing else can give us the assurance that he does. John Piper says this, that biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has a moral certainty to it. When the word says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. It means you can expect great things from God. And so the certainty that we have in who God is and what he's doing, hope. We need to hope in the Lord. So we bring that concept back to Psalm 4. That's what Psalm 4 is about. It shows us what it looks like for someone to hope in the Lord. And what are we going to see that that looks like? Well, the first thing is this, is that hope in the Lord means that we can always cry out to him. Hope in the Lord means that we can always call out to him. Again, that first verse, answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, I'm going to admit something, confession here publicly. I hate text messaging. Passionately. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate text messaging. I use it as much as everyone else, but that doesn't mean that I have to like it. Did this person see my text? Are they going to get back to me in a few minutes, in a few hours, a few days? This person that sent me a text while I was driving, oh, I'll get back to them when I stop driving, but then I forget. I forgot about it. Are they going to think that I hate them or I don't like them or anything like that? I hate text messaging. Texting and all the different dozens of ways that we can communicate with one another. Somebody says, did you get my message? And we now ask, how did you send it? 
because there's so many different ways to communicate. But it's never for sure whether we'll actually get our message or we got theirs. The communication is up in shambles at times. When we come to God, though, it's not like that. We never have to wonder, did God hear our message? We never have to be concerned, did God get this? God always hears us. The text says, answer me when I call, not after I call. God is immediately hearing us. You know when you are texting and you text somebody and then those little bubble with the speech pops up as if they're typing and as they're responding, that little bubble that comes? Well, when we cry out to God and he knows our thoughts as we're saying them. He's not waiting for the bubble to be finished. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're going to cry out to him for before we even cry out. He always hears you. He is zoned in and focused on us much more than we are ever zoned in and focused on him. And so we can call out to him about anything and about everything. There is nothing that you are going through so big or so small that you can't bring to God and cry out to him for help in And the psalmist gives us the example here. He acknowledged who God is. Oh, God of my righteousness, the almighty God that I'm talking to. He's my God. And I remember that he loves me and he cares for me. He acknowledges all that God's done in the past. You have given me relief when I was in distress. He's in, this isn't the first time he's been in a difficult place. He's been in a difficult place before and he's remembering God helped me then and he's still the same God. I know he's going to hear and help me now. And so acknowledging what God's done in the past, and then he acknowledges the reality of grace. Be gracious to me. Anything that God gives us is something we don't deserve, but his grace is always available, and his care and love for us is always freely offered. Knowing we have somebody trustworthy and good that we can cry out to in the midst of despair, challenges, difficulty, unknown, that's hope in the darkness. That's hope in the darkness. We always have somebody we can call out to. We always, you never have to wonder if God will answer. He always does. He always hears. He always listens. He always is aware. And that is hope because so often we do wonder, does somebody, does somebody know me? Does somebody understand? Is this person going to listen? How is this person going to respond? We never have to have those shaky, uncertainty feelings about the Lord. He always listens, and you can always cry out to him. And so have hope in that. It says in Psalm 57 too, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. God always hears, and he always responds. His response might not be exactly how he wanted him to respond, but God always has our best in mind. And so within that, we trust him. In that, we trust him with everything. God, I need you. And so what's the thing that you've been going through that you've been trying so hard on your own strength and not crying out to God? And there's nothing, nothing that you can't cry out to him for, and we should cry out to him for everything. And so hope is knowing. Hope in the Lord means we can always call out to him. The second thing in this psalm is that hope in the Lord means we know that there is always more to come. There is more to our story than the moment we find ourselves in. 
It says in verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your bed. It's interesting because the direction of the psalm changes from verse 1 where he's calling out to God. Now he's talking to people. And he's specifically addressing the people who are tormenting him. And so speaking to his enemies, they are tarnishing his reputation. They are speaking cruel things about him. They're spreading lies about him. And he's calling them out about that. To experience people talking like this about us, whether it's cruelty behind our backs or sometimes to our fronts, for people to spread gossip, for people to share conflict with others. We know what that's like at times, unfortunately. And it can be some of the most painful things that we have to deal with to how people can treat us or talk about us, again, whether it's to our face or behind our back. So it's no wonder that the psalmist says here, how long? How long is this going to keep going? How long are they going to say this? How long are they going to treat me like this? How long are they going to be able to deal with this? How long do I have to experience the anxiety from this? How long? Is this all there is? Or is there a point where it's going to change? How long is a question longing for hope? It can't stay like this. But don't miss what verse 3 said. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. He's reminding himself of two things about, about dealing with this people. Is that one, he is one of God's children. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself. I am one of God's. I am his own. He cares about me. And he's not alone in this torment. I can call out to God. These, re- these reminders communicate that this situation isn't all that there is. In the midst of this torment, in the midst of these people treating me this way, God, I am God's. He hears me. And this is not the end of my story. Yes, I'm in a difficult place, but God has more for me than this difficult place. It doesn't mean hard times. The fact that the Lord loves us, the fact that the Lord is with us, the fact that we are his children, it doesn't mean that hard times won't happen. It doesn't mean that God will choose to stop horrible people from doing horrible things. But it does mean he will not abandon us or leave us or forsake us. With God, there is always more to come. There is always another part of our story, and we have a future beyond the thing we find ourselves in. Only God can give us that kind of definitive hope. You can have confidence that there is always more to your story with God, and that hope gives us a sense of strength to keep going, which is why we have verse 4, move forward in hope, not anger. Process your days with hope in the Lord and not vengeful anger. Don't react Don't seek to get back at people. Move forward in hope and live the way God wants us to live. Hopelessness can lead to failure because we move in desperation and hurt and anger. When we move in hope, we live mindful, restful in God's strength and wisdom. And so what's the thing that you are in the midst of that you're saying, how long? How long is it going to be like this? None of the good things in this world can give us the guaranteed hope that there's more to our story. Sure, there's things that can, 
appease or comfort or numb for a little while, but none of them can give hope. Hope for definitive, endless future of hope. Only God can do that. It's always wishful thinking and aspiration when it comes to things in the world. But with God, you can know that there's more to your story. And even if the next step of our journey is our last on earth, there's still more to your story with God. That's the reality of hope. Nothing else on earth can give us with the hope that God does. And so maybe that's the thing. As we deal with people, we navigate life, maybe that's why we experience hopelessness at times is because your hope isn't in God. Your hope is in something that can't give hope. Not that it necessarily is a bad thing, but we're expecting something from it that it can't give. Only God can give us the hope that our hearts desire. And so we need to hope in him. The last thing in this psalm that we see is that hope in the Lord means we can sleep well trusting him. Hope in the Lord means we can sleep well trusting him. Verse 5 again. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have with their grain and wine to bound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Okay, let's be honest with one another. How many in here have ever experienced the reality of tossing and turning and struggling to sleep at night because of worry, anxiety, or hopelessness? Who's ever had that night? See how many hands went up? That reality of distress or struggle, and it might be something really big, it might be something small, but whatever it is, we're, we're tossing, we're turning, we're role-playing, we're trying to figure it out, thinking through every possible outcome of what could happen, and like, well, I need to do this, or what if this doesn't happen? And we start thinking through all these things that we don't know if they are going to happen, but we start feeling like they will, and then uh, it just gets horrible, right? I'm just making you stress even talking about it because you've had that night. Is that how we're supposed to be? And is that what God wants for us? We worry about work. We worry about school. We worry about relationships. We worry about kids, finances, the future, and countless other things. And in the midst of the tossing and turning, we're asking how long? Or maybe in the midst of the tossing and turning, we're asking the question that we see in verse 6. Who will show us some good? Who is going to show us good? And I mean, that's why we toss and turn, right? That's the, that's the basic reason why we toss and turn is we're up asking through, thinking through the countless variations, how will I see good in this? How will this turn to a thing of good? How will the good come to this situation or thing? But the answer is in the lines right before and right after that question. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord and the Lord alone. Not in, my, not in myself and not in others, I'm going to trust in the Lord. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Like the sunrise breaking through and dispelling the night, may the light of the Lord break through our fears and worries and stress and shine upon us so that we might have peace. When we look to him, when we're trusting to him, when we're desiring him, that's when the light shines through. Psalm 67 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth 
your salvation among all the nations. And that's talking really broadly, but here's the thing I want you to see about that, is you and I are part of that. We're part of those nations on earth. And so when he says, may, your, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your, his ways would be known to you. That's the reality is that in those moments of tossing and turning, we don't, we don't have the perspective that this psalmist has where his eyes are on the Lord, he's trusting in the Lord, he's not thinking of through every single thing that could happen, he's thinking through the fact that God is going to make things okay. And even if things go worse as far as an earthly perspective, God has my back, he's providing for me, he's, he's protecting me, he wants my, the best for me, I am with him and he's not going to leave me or forsake me. Too often we turn our eyes off of the Lord and we put our eyes on the situation and that's where the stress comes in. But the psalmist gives us the best perspective. Those who torment and worry me find their joy in what they earn or their harvest or their gain or any other type of thing that they have. But God has given us joy that abounds more and more than their harvest celebration and it is the joy that will be there once their harvest celebrations are gone. That's the cool thing about that last verse. You have more, those last two verses, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Those harvests are great when they first come and when the wine starts getting full, but the harvest eventually gets eaten away and the wine gets drunk and then it's gone. And the thing that gives them happiness is gone because it's fleeting. But the joy that the Lord gives us is always there and its content level never shrinks. It is always present, always full, and always for us. The joy of the Lord is ours. We have to turn our eyes to him. Joy in a paycheck lasts as long as the paycheck. Joy found in the Lord transcends all we have and experience. That's why he says he can sleep soundly and in peace. Because he's trusting the Lord. He's trusting the Lord. He's bringing every single thing to it and trusting the Lord. And I know that that's easier said than done, and we are still going to have difficult nights, but it is still a good heart check for us. When those moments happen, when I can't sleep because of worry, maybe that's a time of confession to say, God, I need to trust you more. And the reality of trusting God isn't to just ignore the thing. It's not to act like the thing isn't there. But trusting in the Lord is, is also an act of obedience. How does God tell us to navigate life? Well, he tells us to surrender things to him. He tells us to allow community to help us. He tells us to go by our, his strength and not our own. He tells us not to compromise our character and our integrity. There's so many things that God tells us in his word on what to do. And so when we're trusting in him, and we're trusting in the goodness that he has, that's what trust looks like. It's not arbitrarily, I'm going to exist in the midst of this. It's I'm going to be obedient and faithful to the God that is mine and whose I am his, and I'm finding joy in him and walking in the ways that he has laid out to me. Too many often we experience the restless nights because we're simply not trusting the Lord and we're trusting our own experiences. And so when next time you have one of those nights, let it be a time of surrender to God. Let it be a heart check of reminding yourself, God, I need you. And I, have, I can't rely on how my kids will respond. I can't re rely on how my boss is going to act. I can't re rely on how my coworkers are going to be. I don't know what the grade of this test is. I don't know what the diagnosis is going to be. My trust is in you, though, and who you are. And that's where I'm going to find the joy. 
And the joy is going to give me the strength to get through whatever this is. Hope in the Lord means that we can sleep well, trusting in him. And I don't know what everything, everything everybody in here is going through. I know some of the things, but I don't know all the things. But I know that we're all human in here, and we all live in Chicago, and you have jobs, and you have responsibilities, and you have families, and you have hopes, and you have whatever, health, and you have all the different things of what it means to be human. And a lot of those times, those things are really, really hard. And sometimes those things are really, really heavy, and they seem overbearing. And it feels like walking in a dark room. Find your hope in the Lord. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within, within me? Hope in God. In whatever you're going through, and whatever it is, know that he loves you, he cares for you, he, wa- he loves you, he wants to be there for you, he wants you not to be alone, but be connected. God has your best in mind. And his, your best is him. You need to find Jesus and you need to trust in the Lord. Hope in God. Let's pray together. God, I'm grateful that you know all the things that we are experiencing. You know the things that keep us up at night. You know the things that bring darkness into our life. And so God, we just, I pray that you would shine your light upon us. God, I pray that you would speak the truth of your word into our hearts. God, I pray that you would give us courage to share with church and family and community that we can get help from and have people support us. God, I pray that you would um, give us a hunger for your word so we can know what is true and find joy in what is true. God, for anyone going through those difficult, dark nights, God, I pray that you would give them hope and give them courage to find assistance. And God, bring us and join us and unite us as a church in a place as a beacon of hope for one another and for this neighborhood. We thank you for all, all of this, and we ask this all in your name. Amen. Uh, would you stand with us? We're going to close with, oh, we're doing communion. Sorry, thank you.